Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. I read a story about a grandfather who was driving around town with his little grandson, and his little grandson was an inquisitive little guy. And so they were driving out of the town, and they came across a church, and out in front of the church it said, Church of Christ. And so the grandson said, look, Grandpa, there's the Church of Christ right there. And so the grandpa looked at the sign, and he goes, well, that must be what it be. That must be the Church of Christ. A little later on, they came to a church, and uh, another church sign, it said Church of Christ. He goes, look, Grandpa, there's another Church of Christ. And the grandpa looked at the sign, and he goes, that's what the sign says. That must be the Church of Christ. They went a little bit further down the road and they found another sign that said the Church of Jesus Christ. And so the little boy thought he would test his grandfather and he said, look, Grandpa, there's another Church of Christ. And the grandpa looked at the sign and he goes, nah, that's not a Church of Christ. It's got Jesus in it. Now, I thought I'd get a bigger laugh on that, okay? Now, as humorous as that story is, it does reveal a very real truth. Let me ask you a question. Western Heights. When people drive by Western Heights Baptist Church, do they say that Jesus is in the church? Do they say that Jesus is alive in that church? Because that's really the fundamental question. That's really the question that, that we have to answer. Because, you see, it's, we're not really a church if Jesus is not in the church. But I think what we would discover that Jesus is supposed to be all over the church. Jesus is, is throughout and everything that the church is. So today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And we're going to look at the, these words. And this is the first time in the New Testament that the word church is actually used. It comes from the lips of Jesus, and so it must be important. We're going to look at these words, and perhaps you've heard these words before. And because you've heard them before, you've become familiar with them that they've kind of lost their significance. They've kind of lost their importance. But I want us to look at this and gain some new insights. We're going to look at these words this morning under the heading, Is Jesus in the church? Listen to what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now here's the context. Many people are wondering, who is Jesus? What, we want to know, who is this Jesus? And so he asked his disciples, hey, what do people, who do people say that I am? And so they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Others say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or some other prophet. That's pretty good company. They were putting Jesus in some, some religious, historical figures that meant a lot to the Jewish, to the Hebrew people. But that wasn't good enough. So Jesus turned to the disciples and says, okay, but what about you? 
who do you say that I am? That's a different question. Now, perhaps all the disciples wanted to answer the question, but Peter's always the one speaking up for the rest of them. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, said, Peter, great. I, I, you, you, that is a great statement. He said, Peter, you are blessed. He said, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. He said, and you're blessed. You're blessed. So this is the context. And then in verse 18, he makes this statement. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There's three important truths about the church in that one little verse, verse 18. The first one is the church is built on Jesus. The church is built on Jesus. Notice what he says. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Let me throw out a couple of suggestions. This has been debated for centuries. We're not going to solve the problem today. But let me throw out a couple of suggestions. There are some that look at that phrase and say that he's talking about Peter. God's going to build his church on Peter. That has been the traditional teaching of the Catholic Church since the first, second, third century. That's where they stand. Peter is, the church is built on Peter, and the, the Pope now is the vicar of Christ. He's a descendant of Peter. He represents Christ here on earth. That's been the teaching. There is an element of truth in that. For instance, the word used here for Peter means a little pebble. He said, Peter, you're a little pebble. Uh, you're, you're a little pebble. He said, but then he said, but I'm going to build a church, a rock, upon this rock. He's not talking about that. But elsewhere, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Many years later, Peter, toward the end of his life, will write these words. He says, you also are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. He said, you too are little pebbles that God is building. But even in that verse, he says, but Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the foundation. Christ is, is the main rock. Now, I don't think that that's what uh, Jesus is saying. I don't think Jesus is saying he's going to build his church upon little pebbles, uh, Peter. I think there's another thing. I think what he's trying to say, Peter, you're a pebble, you're a stone. He said, but I'm going to build my church upon a rock. And the rock that he's going to build a church upon is on faith in Jesus Christ. The church is built upon faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. We are just little pebbles but the church is built on Jesus. Listen, because the church is built on Jesus, it's not built by man's superstitions. It's not built on man's ideas. It's not built on man's perceptions. It's not built upon the charismatic leader of a pastor or preacher. It's not built on programs and traditions and rituals and religion and all those things that we do. It's built upon Jesus Christ. But I think we've lost this emphasis today in many, many places. Because what we see happening in the world is we have seen many sects and many cults that are rising up, but they put church on the end of it, and people think, well, that must be a church. But these sects, 
these cults have no relation to our Lord and Savior, but yet they pass themselves off to a dying world as a church, but they offer no hope for the world because they have no message in which they can communicate. But I think we've also perpetuated this myth in our own in, in, in church. Like we said, the church is the building. The church is, is, is the building that we have, and that's what takes, takes place. I remember years ago, I lived in Smithfield, Texas. Good place to be from, far from. Okay, no, I'm, yeah, I was in Smithfield, and I was pastoring, and I would oftentimes have to go to Austin to visit some folks in the hospital. And I remember going by this particular church several times, and I'd see a sign that said, this church for sale. And that bothered me. That bothered this church for sale. And so I go by that and see this several times. Well, one time I went by, several months later, I went by and they changed the sign and said, this church is not for sale, but the building is. You see the difference? So I always said, well, the church isn't for sale. Uh, you know, the church is never for sale. Uh, we might think it's for sale. You know, I wonder, well, who's the highest bidder for the church? But listen, you can't sell the church. The church is already bought by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It cannot be bought by any person or any man. It cannot be bought. The building can be purchased, but not the church. But I think that, that we, we have this idea that the church is the building. But listen, this, church, this building is not the church. The church can be found amongst the people during the week. The, the, the church can be found at the local hospital visiting and working at the local hospital. The church can be found at the local stores and the local businesses. Uh, the church can be found at our schools. Baylor, MCC, Midway, Waco, University, Tennyson, Park Lake, wherever they go. They, that's where the church can be found. The church can be found in the businesses around us. They can be found in the homes. They can be found walking the streets. The church can be found driving the cars. The fact of the matter is, the church can be found all over the city. Now, it is true that we gather here at 6301 Bosque Boulevard to exalt Christ. According to our mission statement, we're here to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. So we come here to exalt Christ, not to exalt man, not to exalt any program. We are here to exalt Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're here to exalt Christ. But at the same time, we want to be equipped in our Bible studies, in our sermons, in our fellowships. We want to be equipped to do what? To go out and engage the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can do what? So we can bring more people here to this building to do what? To exalt Christ. So we can do what? So we can equip them to do what? To go out and engage more people to do what? To bring them here to exalt Christ to do what? To equip them to do what? To go out and engage the community to do what? To bring people here to exalt Christ. You see how it works? That's the method to our madness. We're here to exalt Christ and be equipped so that we can engage the community. But this building is not the church. So perhaps I should ask you a question. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's really the crux of it. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because the way you answer that question 
will determine where you spend your eternal destiny. Now, a little later on this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer that question. So I want you to be thinking about it. Okay, now, I think you can double task. You can multitask. You can be thinking about that while you're listening to me preach the rest of the sermon, okay? But a little later, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer that question and then give you the chance to respond. Who do you say that Jesus is? So the first foundational truth we see in this passage is the church is built on Jesus. Second, the church is built by Jesus. Look at verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Okay, the first service did not get this. This is not a rhetorical question. I'm looking for participation, okay? Participate. That's what I'm looking for, okay? Who's going to build the church? Okay, let, let's try this again. The answer is Jesus, okay? I'm giving you the test answer, okay? You will all make a hundred if you just respond. This text says, I will build my church. Okay, who's going to build the church? Okay, who's going to build the church? Who's going to build the church? Okay, okay, so we're on the same page. Jesus is going to build the church. Now that's important for us to grasp. And sometimes, my friends, it's not just important to see what the Scripture does say. You've got to look at what does the Scripture not say. Notice what it does not say. It does not say the disciples will build the church. He might use the disciples, but they're not going to build the church. Neither does he say the preacher is going to build the church. He might use the preacher. I personally find a lot of comfort in that God's not going to build His church upon me. Uh, ooh, you talk about a failure. It would be a failure, but I'm thankful. That takes the pressure off of me. Thank you, Jesus. You're not going to do it on me. You're going to do it on yourself. He also doesn't say the deacons are going to build the church. He doesn't say a choir is going to build the church. He doesn't say a senior adult ministry is going to build the church. He doesn't say a dynamic youth ministry, a dynamic children's ministry is going to build the church. He may use all of those things to build the church, but Jesus is going to build His church. That's what the text says in this passage. And here's the thing. If Jesus said, I will build my church, I kind of trust Him. I kind of believe that he, he's, he's true to His Word. But here's what's happening. It's a supernatural event. It's not going to happen naturally. It happens supernaturally. Because if it happens naturally, we can explain it. When it's supernaturally, we can't explain it. It's a thing that only God can do. And this is the fundamental problem facing the church today, is that we have not allowed Jesus to build His church. We've not dedicated ourselves to understanding and obeying God's instructions for the church. You know what we want? We want to do it our way. We want it to be to our liking. Listen, that's not good enough, my friends. Not for a church that Jesus is going to build. Good enough is not it. I've always said this a thousand times. It is a sin to be good when God expects you to be great. It's a great commission. It's a great commandment. It's not a good commission, a good commandment. So we fail when we cease to be great, when, God ex when we cease to be great, and we settle for good in the place of great. God wants it to be a great church, not a good church, not an average church. He wants it to be a great church. That's not good enough to be good. At least not for a church built by Jesus. You see, a church built by man's agenda, hear me on this, a church built by man's agenda is satisfied with altar calls, but lacks the discipline to make disciples. 
A church that is built by man's agenda is, is content with names on a church roll, but not in a Sunday school class, not in a Bible study class. A church that's built upon man's agenda is comfortable with feel-good seminars, but they never confront sin and wrong in people's lives. A church built on man's agenda is happy with, with little stories that are shared from the pulpit, but there's little preaching of the Word of God. And a, and, a, and a church that's built on man's agenda is never exposed to Scripture and never held accountable to obey it. That's not what God planned for His church. That's not a church that Jesus built. Jesus promised, I will build my church. I will build my church. But then we begin to restrict that promise. Years ago, I read a book. Uh, it's a little tiny book, and you'll see why. It's written by Ken Hemphill. He was a pastor of First Baptist Church, Norfolk, Virginia, for many years. The president of Southwestern Seminary for many years. And the name of his book was called The Bonsai Theory of Church Growth. And he said many churches use the bonsai theory to grow the church. You know, a bonsai tree is a full-grown tree. But what they do, they keep it in a small pot, and they prune it, and they trim it away to keep it small. He said in many ways, what we do as believers, what we do as followers of Jesus, we don't let the church grow to its full potential because we try to contain it. And we keep it small. We keep it small. We prune away the growth. We do that. How do we do that? How can we restrict the growth of the church? One is by failure to have vision. This comes right out of Scripture. King James Version, for those of you that think that King James Version is the only one. The King Version says, when people have no vision, they perish. When they have no vision, the people perish. The NIV translates that verse, when the people have no revelation, they cast off restraint. Here's what he's saying. If you have no revelation of what God can do in your life, then guess what? You'll do whatever you want to do. We have no vision. And so we, we keep the church like a small tree. Or we do it by our apathy. Just don't care. I don't care. I've had people tell me, tell me before, said, I don't care what you do to this church after I'm dead. You know what I call that? That's apathy. Apathy. We do it by our complacency. We're just not going to do anything. Or we do it, this is probably one of the main, we do it for our lack of concern for the lost. We show we don't care. And by so doing, we keep the church small, we restrict the church, or get this one, unwillingness to change. We just won't change for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom of God. And we can restrict the church by just sitting back and doing nothing. Just doing nothing. Just show up on Sunday and go through the motions because we can all come back again next Sunday and do it all again every Sunday. We can do that. Supernatural growth does not mean we can do nothing and expect God to build His church. Notice what He didn't say here. Jesus did not say, I might build the church. He didn't say, I could build the church. Neither did He say, perhaps 
I will build the church. Or there's a good chance I'll build my church. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. In many ways, as I thought about this sermon this week, it reminded me of Jesus' parable of the souls. Now, I know the parable of the souls is about evangelism. I know it's about reaching people with the gospel and how God does it. But I think it applies to the church as well. Hear me out. The Bible says that a, that a farmer goes out and he sows seed everywhere. He just scatters it. So imagine that God, Jesus, comes out and he just starts fertilizing, throwing seed out there. And in the process of fertilizing the seed and blessing people, the seed falls upon some hard soil. And the Bible says that it falls on the hard soil and because it cannot take root, the birds come and they devour the seed. Basically, Satan comes and he takes it away. It also says that some of the seed falls on some shallow soil, but that shallow soil, because it does not have enough ground to get the roots, the roots don't get established, and as soon as the pressure of the sun, it begins to burn it away, and the, the plants wither up and die. But then some of the seed, and, and we could debate you know, whether the seed grows or not, but some of the seed grows, but it gets mixed in with thorns, and it gets mixed in with thistles, and what happens is the thorns and the thistles begin to take over the plant, and that plant, too, never bears any fruit. But then some seed, some seed falls in good, fertile soil. In other words, it finds its place in people's hearts, and the seed's planted in the heart, and it grows and it grows, and the roots get strong, and then it grows and it produces fruit. And the Bible says a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold more than the actual seed that was planted. And I believe in many ways, hear me on this, my dear friends, I believe in many ways God is out there casting His seed in, the, in churches. Churches. And He's trying to see, what soil are you? Let me ask you a question, Western Heights Baptist Church. Which soil are you? Are you the hard soil, the shallow soil, the soil encompassed with, with thorns and thistles, or are you fertile soil that the Word of God can penetrate into your heart and can produce something beyond your wildest dreams? That's really what it comes down to when we think of what Jesus said He would do. Jesus promised. He said, I will build my church. I don't know about y'all. I kind of trust him. I kind of believe if he said he would do it, then he's going to do it. So I've got to say the problem is probably not with Jesus. The problem is probably with us or with me. So I want to get in tune with him because I trust him and I believe him. He says, I will build my church. He says, I'll build the church on me and I'll, the church will be built by me. One more truth. The church is also built for Jesus. Look at verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. So therefore, he's going to use it for his glory. I remember one, one church in which I was at. You may have heard this before, but it bears repeating. In one church I was at, I preached a, a sermon uh, this is kind of a, a recurring theme in my life. I just kind of preach about, you know, the church needs to be about all about the gospel, all about missions, all about ministry. 
And, uh, and I preached this sermon, and you know, uh, I thought it was pretty good. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody else did. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, and afterwards, I, I heard some ladies talking on the way out, and they said, well, this is still our church. I thought about that. You know what? This is not your church. This is not your church. This is Jesus' church. And because it's Jesus' church, guess what? He can do whatever He wants with this church. It's His church. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not ours. Now, we may be a part of this church, but it is not our church. It doesn't work that way. But here's the thing. It's His church. But He gives us a tremendous task to do. What is that task? Go and make disciples of all peoples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all, to obey all things that I have commanded you. And remember, and remember, I'll be with you always. To the very end of the age. That's what He's told us to do. He's given us a tremendous task. But look at the latter part of verse 18. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The word Hades in the original means not to see. So look at it this way. And the things that you, and the gates of the things you can't see will not overcome it. That kind of puts a different context on it. Kind of puts a different idea on it. So what he's talking about here, he's talking about the unseen spiritual world. There's an unseen spiritual world out there that's wreaking havoc upon the world. What Jesus is saying is that there is a spiritual stronghold from which Satan and his demons storm out into the world with their assignment and intention of deceiving the lost, of destroying the witness of the church and controlling society. That's what they do. We can't see it, but that's what they do. He says, it's an attack, that, that, that they're attacking us. But he says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to be an attacking army. I mean, when I was a young, a young kid growing up, even up in the, in the young, uh, young uh, teenage years, and even young adults here, I always thought, I said, well, man, I'm, I'm glad the church has some gates to protect us from those forces out there. Whew, let's lock them and make sure nobody gets in. That's not what the Scripture says. Can you imagine going into battle swinging gates? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He says, no. He says, no. He said, we are on the attack. We are on the offensive. He said, the gates of those forces that we can't see will not stand against the church. Not my word. It's His word. In my, in my Bible, it's in the red, which means they're supposed to be red. He says, the church... It's supposed to be in full frontal assault upon Satan and his demonic forces. We're supposed to be taking the fight to them. But I think one of the things we've done as a church, we've gone on the defensive. We've got to protect ourselves from those outside influences. We've got to protect our, ourselves those people that don't look like us, don't smell like us, don't act like us, and don't look like us. We've got to protect ourselves from them. So we go in a protective mode and we don't take chances anymore. We're afraid to venture out in faith. In the words of Gene Roddenberry, we refuse to go where no man has ever gone before. Or 
you know, God forbid we do that because we ain't never done it that way before. Yeah, you never did anything before. This is what we say. So what happens? We make little impact in society. We have little influence on our community. And Satan is running rampant. He's running rampant in the world. Why is that? Why is that happening? Because the church has forgotten who we are. We've forgotten what we're all about. Today there will be an important football game played. I'm still mad at my deacons. We're calling a deacons meeting at 4 o'clock. That means I won't get to see but maybe the first 10 minutes of the first quarter. The Cowboys open up the Super Bowl run for the year. They may not make it, but hey, we always dream, don't we? Kind of like Baylor going to the championship, right? Yeah. We all dream. Anyway, it'll be an important football game. Now, when I turn on the football game and I watch it, there's some things I don't want to see. What I don't want to see is a huddle. I don't really want to watch a bunch of guys on a football field in a huddle. When we huddle up, you know what we get? This. What do you see? Right? Guess what? That's what we do here at the church. We gather in our holy huddles, and the only thing the world sees is a bunch of rear ends. I don't want to see huddles. I want to see an attacking army. I want to see my cowboys attacking those mean old giants. I want them attacking them in force and winning the game. I wonder oftentimes, just humor me, I wonder if sometimes God looks down at the church and just sees a bunch of rear ends. Just people gathered in huddles, forming committees, talking about what they're going to do. And they never do anything. And the whole time, Satan is destroying our families. He's destroying our homes. And he's sending more and more people to a Christless eternity. But that's okay. Because we're getting ready to huddle up in heaven. The thing is, Jesus has given us a game plan. He says we are to attack the spiritual forces. As the church carries out the evangelistic ministry by sharing the gospel, we batter down the spiritual strongholds of Satan. And get this, when we go out there and we share the gospel and we bring somebody into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, we snatch the loss from the burning hell that they will spend for eternity. And Jesus is commanding us to be an attacking army. And we'll be an attacking army sent from heaven with His power, with His authority. And we go into the entire world and we start in Waco, Texas. Look what He says in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We don't have time to go into all the details of that. But here's basically what he's talking about. At one time, the keys were given to the scribes, and the scribes had the key to understanding Scripture so they could communicate it effectively. What he's saying, I have given the ability to communicate Scripture. I've given an ability to communicate the gospel to the church so that you can go out and unlock the bondage that people are in. 
so they can understand the power of the gospel and they can be saved from the prison of their, that their souls are in and that Satan would like nothing more than to do that. Can you imagine that? With the gospel, my friends, with the power of the gospel, we have the ability to unlock the cages of sin that keep people trapped. We have the power in the gospel. In the gospel. That's how we influence lives. He says, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We're built for Jesus. But we've forgotten that. We tend to think that the church was created for us. It was created for our comfort. It was created for what we like. It was created for our desires. We do not exist to please ourselves, but to please Him who saved us and bought us with a price. That's why we exist. To bring Him glory and to bring Him honor and to bring Him praise. And listen, God's institution of the church, God's institution of the church is the only redemptive institution in the world. It's the church. It's to the church He gave the Great Commission. To His people. It's the church that brings the message of salvation. And someday, someday He'll come again for his church somebody asked a question in the London Times many years ago the question was what's wrong with the church there were many entries a pastor from Wales answered it this way he won the contest he said what's wrong with the church is our failure to realize and wonder at the beauty the mystery the glory and the greatness of the church we failed to realize that it's in the church that the gospel is proclaimed. It's in the church that people are made right with God. It's in the church we have the Great Commission. And like I said, someday Jesus is going to come for His church. Let me ask you a question. Remember that question I asked you a little earlier? I asked you to hang on to it. I wanted to ask you that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Are you going to be a part of one of those ones that Jesus comes again someday and takes you back to be with Him? That's what's going to happen. Someday Jesus is going to come in this world that we know it will no longer exist. And Jesus is going to say, I'm going to bring my children out of that and they will live with me forever. But the only way He does that is if you made a statement and said, who do you say that Jesus is? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you can't make that statement, guess what? You're not going to be a part of the family. You're not going to be a part of that heavenly reunion that we will have. And you won't live with Him forever. So what do you got to do? You got to admit that you're a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody. But some have been saved by grace. So you got to admit that you're a sinner. You got to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins that you could never pay for. He died for your sins. And you commit your life to Him. So admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. And commit your life to Him. And once you do that, then you'll be a part of the family of God. A part of His army moving forward 
to go out and tell others about Jesus. For some of you, you may have given up on the church. I understand. The church can be very frustrating. This week, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a little confession. This week I was driving home from Whitney to see my dad. And on the way home, I just said, out loud, I said, Lord, I don't want to be in ministry anymore. I don't want to do it. I said, Lord, I am sick of the fighting. I'm sick of the backroom deals being made. I'm sick of secret meetings taking place. I'm sick of people doing all these things. God, I'm just sick of it. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. I said, I'm sick of your church. But God slapped me a few times in the head. And I said, but you know what? I get to go preach on Sunday and tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus and talk to his church and say, this is who we can be. This is what God has planned for. I said, Lord, all I want to do is I want to make you known. I want to make you known. I want to give you praise. I want to give you glory. And I want to see people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Who in the world would have a problem with that? And then I said, you know what? If they got a problem with that, they got a problem with Jesus. Because that's what His Word says. He says, I will build my church as my people are faithful to do what, I'm, what I've called them to do. I'll take care of the rest. So some of you, you've given up on church. I understand. Sometimes we just don't get our act together. If you're looking for a perfect church, look, don't join. Because once you join, it will no longer be perfect. But look, if you're looking for a place where you can come and you can struggle and you say, man, I ain't got my act together. I don't understand all this. These are help us. Hey, we're there for you, man. We'll be right there with you. We ain't got our act together. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up. For others of you, maybe you haven't given up on the church, but you just need a church home. A place where you can come and serve. You can be... You can be all that you can be in Christ. You can grow together. I said, look, if it's not Western Heights Baptist Church, that's okay with me, but get in a church. Somewhere. Get in a church so that you can be involved and God can use you for His glory and for His honor. Listen, I can't make a lot of promises. We may not know exactly what we are going to do tomorrow. But I can assure you of this. With God's help, we will move forward for His glory and for His honor. We will. If that's what you'd like to do, we'd love to see you be a part of this fellowship of believers.